0: personhood does not necessarily mean human and it's not exclusive to humans either as we're starting to find out especially with cetaceans so basically, to sum that up, humans and personhood mean two different things. There are a lot of um, attributes that describe personhood. They're things like self-awareness, cognitive ability, uh, memory, the ability to recognize others as individuals, the ability, the ability to learn from past experiences, uh, things like that. For a long time, we've had this idea that only humans have personhood. However, now we're starting to realize that other animals do too. Animals can also see into areas of the light spectrum that we cannot see into. Uh, And that is viewed in transhumanism as a future benefit and even one of the causal reasons we would want to merge ourselves with the animal kingdom so that we can open these new modes of perception into realities that right now we are blinded to.
1: You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now, here are your hosts, Basil and Gons.
0: Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Canary Cry Radio. This is episode number 12. Uh, Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to all of you coming in from Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or any of our other online channels there. Um, If you're just hanging out on the website, welcome. My name is Basil.
1: And I'm Gans. And we are going to talk about some transhumanism stuff uh viewpoints on a couple different issues uh
0: getting back to the roots
1: yeah the the reason why we started the show we wanted to kind of keep a pulse on the technological uh movement the techno progressive i guess mindset as uh society kind of continues to move on into these uh realms that are a little bit Scary in one sense, but um, we're going to talk about that today with uh, a few articles that we're going to reference that have come out on the uh, Institute of um, Ethics and Emerging Technologies website. And uh, is there anyone that you want to start with, Basil, or does there.
0: Well, before we start with that stuff, I thought I would give a little update. Okay. Okay. So um, it's been a while since we've talked about NDAA the uh, National Defense Authorization Act that Obama had signed in secret on the 31st of December 2011. Um, Now if you've been keeping track with uh, what's been going on with the bill, then you may already know this, but to those of you who um, this would be new to, there's actually been a lot of um, things going on with it Uh, earlier in the year. Um, all sorts of high-profile figures got together, and they actually uh, um, sued Obama or attempted to sue Obama. It was more of a pub, uh, publicity thing. Um, I'm not sure exactly how the legal, what the legal um, ramifications of that attempt was, but um, they did attempt to sue President Obama for the uh, just abhorrent. Um, Things included in the bill with uh, indefinite detention, specifically of American citizens um, without trial or really without any um, need to express a cause. Now, uh, after that, then it it actually got brought back. NDAA went back to the House um, with these sort of amendments that were going to nullify the indefinite detention of American citizens. As expected... um, the indefinite detention area of the bill was upheld. So NDAA, as it stands right now, has not changed since its very um, secretive signing in uh, December of last year. But on top of that, we have word of a new bill here, and some of you may have heard of this, um, but it is called the Enemy Expatriation Act. And what this is, basically, in some very vague terms, it is uh, talking about if you, or okay, here we go. We're talking about the government now, well, not now, but if the bill passes, now will then have the right to um, simply strip your American citizenship if you are found to be um, supporting uh, what's termed as hostility against the United States, and um sounds you know, kind of is, socialist right right exactly um and and, you know, it's just one of those things where you 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 hope that it is used for what we would like its intended purpose to be um f- to catch actual criminals, actual terrorists, things like this. but you know, there's been a lot of talk. Um, about applying um, these words, hostility towards the United States Or in the case of NDAA, belligerence against the United States um, to, to people like activists Or um, pe- any sort of person speaking out or anything like that And the, the truth of the matter is That it's just the vagary of the language Is the, uh, is the scary part Because uh, as was pointed out with NDAA, it's who's interpreting the bill at the time. right? And yeah, and it was said, uh, (laughs) even with Obama's um, famous quote as he's signing the bill before the ink is even dry on NDAA, paraphrasing here, basically, I don't plan on using this myself right now. So... (laughs) I'm pretty apprehensive about this, but don't worry guys, I'm not going to use it, and then signs the bill. Now, the problem doesn't arise as soon as the ink dries. If this Enemy Expatriation Act um, gets signed, um, it's not... Something where suddenly people are going to start disappearing, and and the scary thing about this is no, you know, whoever is uh, interpreting the bill and interpreting the quote-unquote hostilities towards the United States, this is not just detaining an American citizen. This is not you going to a prison or a holding facility in the United States. At this point, you are now an enemy of the state who has been expatriated from. The United States. So now not only are you um, taken, basically at the whim of whoever is uh, in charge at that point, um, without need for explanation or without need for anything like that, you're not even, there's no guarantee that you're going to be in the United States at that point. At that point, you are literally a man or a woman without a country. And, um, that opens up all sorts of things to, uh, such as being sent to places like Guantanamo Bay, which are very blurry in, um, both in protocol and in purpose or intent really, um, there's just this very uh, vague set of rules that kind of float around in the seawater around uh, Guantanamo Bay there that they, they they sort of pluck from once in a while. But the, for instance, if Gans and I were to, for some reason, I don't know why anybody would think this. Um, to be seen in any sort of hostile manner or belligerent manner towards the United States, Um, we could just get picked on up and sent to Guantanamo Bay and that's what this enemy expatriation act um sort of implies and that's the scary thing about it so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on um make sure to take a look at it i'm sure we'll post a, a link either to the pdf or to something there for you to take a look at but anyways that's the update on those um sort of things and i know alex jones is is going off on uh the Enemy Expatriation Act right now, so um, I'm sure you could visit him or his website.
1: Well, is there is there a has there been people that have been stripped of their American citizenship before, and and under what conditions have people, you know, have that has that even happened before?
0: Right, right, yeah. I mean, it, it has happened. It has been a thing. Um, right. you know for a while but it uh you know i don't have the list right in front of me but there is a list of things that um would cause you to lose your citizenship most of them being um defecting um in in some sort of uh, uh you know in many different ways really and then um lots of explicit um actions will get you you know you stripped of your citizenship and then also a lot of realigning, um, especially during war, war and things like that will, you know, get you right. uh, expatriated. Um, well, it's interesting. Now, well, oh, go yeah.
1: ahead. I was just going to say that the, with, with the amount of, again, this is kind of tying in with the technology stuff, but the amount of technology that's coming out, let's, let's talk about drones. Okay. Cause drones are being deployed and, they're, you know, they have satellites now. They have surveillance cameras. Now they have drones. Right. You really can't go anywhere. And if you're, if you're stripped of your citizenship and you run and you're a fugitive, it's getting harder to just hide somewhere. You know, they're going right. to be able to figure out where you are. And at that point, there's no reason for them not to just end your life right there, you know? Because right. if, again, if, if the crime, if they feel that the crime is a threat to the United States, Which, again, the bill seems to be sort of vague on what constitutes that. Uh, Hostility.
0: Hostility. Hostility towards the United States. (laughs) So, Um, Well, well, that's the big thing about it is at that point, you're no longer even a citizen of the United States. You no longer have, have anything resembling the rights of a citizen of the United States. Right.
1: So you're not protected um, under the law. You're not protected under anything. That's why they can just kind of hunt you down and truly. round you up, or do whatever, put you in experiments, or whatever they need to do. Truly, and I mean
0: there are um, there are conditions under what are called the laws of war, which are the you know the universal agreed upon laws of war, which
1: um, which are broken all the time.
0: Which way. are bro- well, exactly. That's my. <laughs> that's exactly the point. I just spent an afternoon actually reading through them, and half of them. More than half of them. I'm reading and I just saw the, in the news, we just broke just recently like five of those laws. Right. And I'm wondering how we continue to do this, but that's besides the point. The point is, even though you know sets of laws like that are universally and internationally set in place, um, even then, not only are you not an American citizen, but... Unless you get a chance to become a citizen of another country, you are, you have no citizenship. And I'm not really sure on what happens at that point, but I'm sure it's not very good.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll continue keeping a pulse on it. And, uh, if you guys have any thoughts on it, I know there's listeners that aren't, um, you know, from the United States and I'm sure you guys are, uh, you, it's funny because I feel like when I talk to people from other countries, they seem to have a better grasp of what's going on in our governments and in our politics than we do here.
0: Well, Which, yeah, because they're they're lied to a lot less frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, here, mass media is is constantly lying to our uh, citizens. So I am just
1: well, there's I mean, even in Canada, there's that big rally and, and that big uh, protest going on. But the American media hasn't touched it. Exactly. Nothing Nobody on knows it.
0: Unbelievable. About the uh, the situation in Canada right now. Yeah. And it really it, it is blowing my mind at this point. Things are happening in Canada right now that are just huge, not only for the uh, Canadians but for the world. Really, There's, this is um, for a Western. Now, the, uh, granted, the 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 things that happen in Greece and things like that. I mean, for a. Uh, American continental, you know, type thing. Right. Um,
1: Yeah. They're they're our neighboring country. I mean, you'd think there'd be a little bit more, uh, at least a mention of it in the news, but no, nothing. Right.
0: It's very serious. And um, there's nothing, nothing on the radio. Well, very little on the radio and nothing on the TV. So, yeah. uh, Anyways, that's how much we're being kept in the dark over here in the good old
1: USA. Oh, you're being hostile. You're done. <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> um. All right, so let's let's move on a little bit, and uh, let's let's kind of go in between. Uh, let's not go full on transhumanist yet, but there's an interesting article that came out. Uh, it's written by a gentleman named Travis James Leland. It's on the topic of ethical technology, and. His article here is called Personhood for Beginners. And um, it's kind of a mixed bag of thoughts. It doesn't really particularly address transhumanism per se, but it does uh, bring up the the conversation about personhood. What does personhood mean? And uh, which is kind of a central issue to transhumanism in general, because where they're trying to take... The human being is, you know, different genetic uh, constructs between various animals and humans, uh, human enhancement.
0: Yeah. Where does personhood begin? And then where does personhood end? Right. Is is basically a big subject when it comes to messing around with stuff, right?
1: With our genes and whatnot. So um, basically this guy, Travis, poses the question of, you know, why do people eat cows, but not horses or eat dogs or not eat dogs. But, uh, <laughs> um, what
0: are they pampered dogs, pampered and
1: cats. dogs and cats, but not with groundhogs or opossums. And, and basically he's kind of trying to, to ask the question of again, you know, what is person non-human personhood? What does it mean?
0: Yeah. Or why do we even separate? We're already separating out animals in themselves as being having more of a personality or things like that
1: right we we take care of the horse because it seems to have more intelligence than the cow so we eat the cow and we that that's kind of his argument but um at the same time he's asking you know why aren't animals considered persons and his argument is that it's because Well, his argument is that they should be because they're sentient. Right,
0: sentient being self-aware.
1: Right, being self-aware and and conscious, basically. And he has a video here of these dolphins. It's actually kind of a cool video. Uh, These dolphins blowing bubble rings. So they kind of blow air out of their thing and and they swirl it around. It's kind of cool. And you can see they're being playful and whatnot.
0: Um, Right.
1: But there's a huge gap between an animal and a human. And of course... Well, there's
0: there's even a huge gap in the definition of sentient.
1: Oh, yeah, Be- yeah, of course.
0: Because you, we think about sentient as, and then we think self-aware. And then we think, okay, what does self-aware mean? I'm self-aware because I know I'm a human being, because I'm aware of things around me. I'm aware that they are not human or they are or whatnot. And then I'm able to interact with them and have some sort of you know, thought process. Well, what he does is he sees, um, say, certain types of apes uh, who grieve when a family member dies, or they, you know, communicate with each other, or they do things like that. And I will agree that while an ape is special in the sense that, um, you know, you can there are certain apes who have been able to replicate sign language. They're very smart when it comes to animals, things like this. But there's no way of telling that we know for sure an ape knows that it is an ape. Right. Do you, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's one thing to be able to operate in the world around you in what us humans would like to think is, you know, an intelligent manner but it's another thing to actually know that you are different from the things around you. What what it brings my mind to is a few episodes back, uh, quite a ways back, we, we talked about um, how we were able to see through the eyes of a cat, basically. Um, right,
1: it by, was uh, the movie Technoclipse where right. they hooked up oh, right, electronic, right. electronic stuff to
0: Well, in this image that they were receiving from the cat's brain, the face of a human sort of looked like a cat. Right. Now what that tells me is that the cat is aware that there are other living things around it. He knows that, you know, there's a person or there's another being right there. Right. But what we're seeing is that animals aren't really, you know, they don't know a lot of the differences between each, each other. Or they, they're not able to to think Of themselves as you know something else like say I now I'm pretending to be a dog I'm getting in I mean you can't see me right now but I'm on all fours and I'm pretending to be a dog trying to uh, live the relaxing dog life but an ape can't necessarily do that right yeah you know they don't you don't see apes look at a bird and then attempt to fly right or things like that,
1: you know what I mean, right? There's a yeah, there's a huge gap there, uh, but also just the typical stuff of of humans creating art, creating music, having philosophy. Uh, those are things that, of course, if if you're an evolutionary biologist, you're going to say, well, that's just because our brains are more evolved, right? But there is an element of, again, a non physical element, a metaphysical element of something there where we're able to communicate in a very specific way. The fact that we're just speaking into microphones and the listener is listening to these sounds and they're organized in a certain manner to be able to communicate ideas is a very, very different thing from just showing emotion. You know, and I think animals, of course they have emotions, you know, we've seen it in them in their behavior how they're experiencing it. We don't know. We can only relate to it in the way that we experience it. But Alex Jones basically recently came out and said that animals are going to be able to sue humans. If this, uh, I can't remember the specific details on it.
0: Yeah. Um, there's,
1: There's
0: that. And then there's another article in, on the same transhumanism site about some more things about animal rights. And basically what they're saying is an animal should be a person. And, Personhood in itself it has a, a very complicated definition, or not complicated, whichever way you look at it, which we'll right. talk about in a few minutes. But anyways, they're saying these animals should be granted personhood, they should have rights, they should have the right to pursue interests, they should have the right to be free from suffering. And then the, it goes so far as to there's even some politicians right now trying to to uh, grant animals the right to sue with repu- with um human, human rep- representatives right, right. <laughs> now okay all right there's oh, I'm just trying to think of where to start here cuz there's just so many things let's start with um personhood of animals in regards to the rights that they would have okay now just so everybody knows I'll give you some context I'm a vegetarian. I don't care if you eat meat. Go ahead and eat <coughs> your meat. Are you okay over there?
1: I'm fine, yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I'm not a vegetarian. And my wife's a vegetarian, though. So
0: Yeah, right. And my vegetarianism comes from all sorts of different reasons, but I'm not going to go out and bomb a slaughterhouse or an Outback Steakhouse or something like that. All right. So now, the right to pursue interests. What on earth does that mean apart from the normal animal already pursuing its sort of interest? I understand animals in cages and being um, experimented on and things like this, but as far as I know, my dog does nothing but pursue its own interests.
1: Yeah, much to our uh, its its
0: stress. Exactly. It's the natural instinct of animals to pursue their own interests. And that's part of the thing going back to sort of the sentientism. They're already pursuing their own interests and in very rare cases do they put the interests of others over themselves. My dog walks into the house with mud on his paws He's just doing it. Number one, he probably doesn't know. But number two, he's not thinking about how I have to now clean it up. Right. You know? And a, a large portion of that is inte- is intellect and things like that. And I realize that, but it's just an example. Um, So that's that.
1: Well, it's um, interesting too also because it, when you contrast that with the human interest, humans going after their own interests always cause some kind of problem either within humans or with the environment, or there's, there's always a conflict with a conflict of interest, basically. Uh, Whereas animals, they're kind of in tune with nature in a certain way. That's much different than us. I mean, the birds fly South every year or whatever, because they just do, they just know. So there's a, there's something there too. I think where animals tend to in their pursuing of their interests, do it together there's a common interest involved, whereas with humans, yeah, I, I guess there's a sort of a common interest, but there's a difference in thought process. There's a difference in opinion. There's differences in beliefs. There's, you know, there's all these different things that each person has their way of trying to get to this point of whatever it is. I, I, I'm not exactly sure. I think most people would say just the comfort and, um, uh, justice, uh, just the basic things, lack of suffering, uh, avoiding pain, that kind of stuff, which I think the animals certainly have as well. But again, I think when you look at human interests, it, there's so much diversity and there's, it causes a lot of issues.
0: Well, yeah, right. And it's a lot more complex and there's a lot more implications um, for a lot of different reasons. And, and yeah, I mean, I guess I'm beating this um, horse to death, so to speak, <laughs> but, uh, uh, but right, okay, so animals pursuing their own interests, okay, uh, they're just going to do that naturally. It's naturally what they do. Secondly, they, um, he talks about animals having the right to uh, be free from suffering. I, I think all of us on some level have a problem with uh, animal abuse. I think that's um, pretty natural. When the commercial comes on with Sarah McLachlan singing um, The Arms of the Angel... And the crying dogs and cats in the cages and please adopt from the Humane Society. You know those commercials? Yes. Well, those those <laughs> invariably will bother us because we just don't like suffering in general.
1: Well, my wife doesn't like watching those those commercials because she feels so bad that she wants to, like, it really gets to her. She's like, oh, let's go get those, you know, three puppies. It's like, uh, right. we already have two and they're, you know, they're already destructive uh, right, their their personal interests do not jive with ours.
0: Yeah, you don't need three more <laughs> little puppies, um, you know, wreaking havoc with their personal interests all
1: over your carpet. <laughs> exactly.
0: Um, but anyways, I guess I I say that to say that that's sort of a non-issue for me. Um, I think that's something that we can. For the most part, agree with maybe not to the same degree as they might think, but okay. But now let's get to the legali the the legal concept of the personhood of an animal. Right. Okay. Now, personhood. Let's just define it as. Um, I mean, it really is hard to define, he, and he doesn't include uh, a a very good definition of what he considers pers- personhood. Right. But he talks about how. Animals should be able to sue us, or things like that, or the, it may have been in one of the other articles. I think that was the other article. We should, we should really get our articles <laughs> straight. When we read up it here. back to
1: back. It seems to kind of blend together. Yeah, i um, spent too much time reading articles. Uh, he he basically says that personhood is a right for humans, not a privilege. And so, again, same thing. The animals should have the same rights. And and it was the other article, the humanist view. Uh, of animal rights is the one that had a little bit more of the uh, the humanist bent on it. Well, but it, keep but it in was, mind
0: that article is written by a transhumanist right, right.
1: about the
0: humanist view of animals. Alright. Let me just read this comment because this is exactly what I was thinking when I was reading this first article, Personhood for Beginners. And uh, I was thinking this while I was reading it and I'm just going to read you this, this uh, very first comment here. Um, by a user named Dengue or something. Personhood is merely a legal concept. I do not think it exists outside of law. Laws govern the relationship between humans primarily. When laws apply to non-humans, they do so through humans. One cannot call an animal to court for breaking the law. Non-humans cannot be persons because they cannot be held accountable for their actions under the law. Secondly, the characteristics that might be presumed to confer personhood on an animal are those characteristics that make human persons that are accountable to the law. Differences about the rights of well, okay. Then he gets into fetus, yeah, he fetuses, gets into the, and things like that. Yeah. So basically, what he's saying is, pers- the word personhood itself is a is sort of a man-made idea. It implies that uh, you are. being that is applicable to the law because why would we even bother you know applying the law to an animal right right because i mean and there's another article i know we keep going back but there's like i was saying a politician who is fighting for the rights of animals to give them personhood to give them the ability to sue Um, Human beings through representation of another human being. And that in itself is just the most ridiculous thing, um, just inherently. But also from a legal standpoint, applying the personhood, the status of personhood to an animal doesn't work because they cannot be accountable for their own actions.
1: Right. You can't sue an animal for anything.
0: Right. Exactly. My dog can go poop on the neighbor's lawn. And the worst thing is going to happen is um, I'll get, you know, some nasty glances and, uh, you know, maybe have to guiltily go pick it up.
1: Right. And even in court. Oh, go ahead.
0: Exactly. And if I go poop on my neighbor's lawn. (laughs) It is a whole nother issue entirely, especially if he lives, you know, within six hundred feet of a school or something like that. You know, <laughs> the the ramifications once you start giving personhood to an animal, the, it just doesn't stop the complications. Yeah, to it's this. gonna
1: it's gonna have all sorts of issues with just a myriad of of problems. But you know, even now, I think naturally the human, and this goes back to a biblical principle, obviously in, t- in Genesis that talks about, uh, we'll have dominion over the animals of the earth. Right. And, and really it, it makes sense in the legalistic, uh, frame of mind, because if a dog bites someone, you get sued, not the dog, you get sued. You're responsible for that dog. Um, right. you know, if, if a zoo animal gets out and starts terrorizing the city, the zoo is held accountable, you know? So it's always going to go back to, a uh, a human person that is held accountable for the actions of at least these animals. Um, Right. And, and, you know, if, if someone goes out into the jungle and gets mauled by a lion or something, then the, the uh, responsibility is on the person that got mauled by the, the lion for not taking, uh, you know, taking the precautions to not get mauled by a lion. So it really is a, a really bad argument to, to say that animals deserve, uh, the same kind of rights that that humans do, uh, because there's just not, you know, and again, we're not saying that like cruelty to animals is okay. But at the same time, we're saying there's a balance here. You don't have to give them the same rights as humans, you know, because I don't know, it just gets into all sorts of messy st- things that I don't think Travis right. here has really thought through entirely.
0: Right. Well, let's think about it from a biblical perspective. Um, I mean, we are off- obviously given stewardship Over the animals. Right. So even starting from that point, we have the inequality. uh,
1: Like a hierarchy, sort of. Like a a chain of, I don't know, the the circle of life.
0: (laughs) Yeah, something. I mean, there's just an inherent inequality between man and beast. And, I mean, it's very apparent. I don't feel like I need to give any more evidence to that.
1: I don't think you necessarily need the Bible to, to confirm that, but it just does.
0: Well, apparently some people do. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> some people who want to be able to, you know, have their dogs sue their neighbor for one reason <laughs> or another. So what I'm getting at here is to put animals and humans at a level where now... Okay, now this is going to get a little bit abstract, so try to stay with me. Now, if the animal is now able to sort of accuse or come after a human under the law and sue him or do whatever or have some sort of legal standing as a sentient being, it's almost as if we are reversing or at least twisting a very fabric of the creation. Uh, From the very beginning.
1: Right. The order. Yeah. We
0: are messing with an order of things. Now, I know there's going to be all sorts of arguments against this, and I'm sure we'll get lots of, you know, lots of different viewpoints on this. Um, But in my opinion, just looking at it from a logical, um, rational viewpoint, to be raising up animals um, above their status as animals is going against a very set set <laughs> a very set collection of natural laws created by God from the very beginning
1: which is and, interesting cuz you know the naturalists are the ones that seem to be against or or at least trying to hold up this pillar of animal rights and this uh, extreme right, right place well and here's here's the thing if we start to change
0: the hierarchy of animals and man, it leads to a sort of a, a slippery slope. Now, I'm not saying I'm not going to make a parallel, but I'll refer to uh, India and the worship of cows or the, the the lifting up in the hierarchy of cows, where now you know killing a cow is punishable by death. Now. I know it's their religious belief that that the cows um, are their ancestors, uh, or the reincarnations of their ancestors. But now, if we look at it in a biblical sense, these cows are being made into idols. You know, there's a sort of reverence for the cows. Right. There are things like this, and it happens at a lot of different places all over the world. But that's just one example, and it sort of goes along with the transhumanist problem of where does personhood start and where does personhood end well where does personhood start for animals now if we give them personhood now just how much i mean is there some place higher that they're gonna go like they are in india i mean i think that cows in india have definitely reached <laughs> the pinnacle of, <laughs> of cowdom of, of cowdom right <laughs> exactly They've reached the top of the cow ladder as uh, <laughs> if you get my uh, analogy.
1: Well, like the movie Planet of the Apes, for example, and I think I didn't see the recent movie where they came out with, I guess, the origin of what happened to the earth, but pretty good movie. Really? <laughs> I mean, that's that that kind of question is definitely in the minds of the transhumanist in a positive sense. Mm -hmm. of genetically altering the ape or the cow, for example. Well, Uh, exactly. Yeah, you're right. And and to lift him up higher, literally, physically, into higher beings. And that's, again, that's messing with the order of uh, the way we were created uh, under God's providence. And, um, I mean, it's just really strange how the whole movement of transhumanism wants to mess up the genetic building blocks of what it is to be man, but also mess with the whole animal kingdom too. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's really bizarre because I'm, I'm, I'm realizing as I'm saying, this is, you know, you read stuff in Enoch and you read stuff in Jasher and you read Genesis six and the whole account of fallen angels and then, them messing, sinning against animals and plants and all this stuff. And it is just unbelievable. The parallel between the antediluvian world or the pre flood world and what caused the flood to begin with, which was complete and utter genetic abominations. Right. And what the transhumanism uh, techno progressives want to do with humanity and animals. And they have to try to justify it by contorting things like personhood and apply it to animals. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like this logical uh, exercise of trying to make it fit their worldview or, or make make the natural uh, order of things to fit their worldview in order to justify it and make it rationally sound. And it's just right. not there. I, I just don't see it.
0: Right. Well, here's a situation. Okay, Say uh, now we're making chimeras. We're, we're mixing men with animals, right? Now, I don't really know how this is how this would work out, but at this point, we have a half-man, half-beast type thing or a man who's been improved genetically um, who now has some sort of characteristic of some animal where it would be beneficial to have the characteristics. But now not only do we... see, And I could see how this would be a concern for those who are for this uh, project because now, say, we have a half man and a half beast now just (laughs) in the wonderful world of mathematics that would make a half man or maybe a half person you know now how do you find the personhood of that creature especially if the consciousness of that creature let's just say it didn't come out um, as human as they wanted it to be right you see what I'm saying and it just gets to be a very tricky situation. And it, it makes sense to me that the transhumanists are making such a big deal about the personhood of animals, especially when one of their goals is to... Uh,
1: Enhance the, make, the humanity. Yeah,
0: sort of make people better with animals.
1: Well, quote-unquote better, not... I well, mean, yeah,
0: right, correct. That's in their worldview that they so vehemently um different
1: yeah well let's let's kind of move on because it, it really does tie into everything we're talking about here and right. and it's it's another article that was on the uh, institute of uh, for ethics and emerging technologies i really like this site i recommend you guys just you know click through it there's always interesting articles on it it's mm-hmm. it's pretty much the transhumanist hub uh i don't think there's a whole lot of people that necessarily read this i don't know maybe there is some articles have a lot of comments others are uh you know others aren't very big hits or anything but these aren't articles written specifically there i think it's a collection a hub of of articles written in other places right uh in any case peter wicks uh the author of this this article he wrote called technology and fear obstacles to progress Uh, right so this is a really interesting one because he assesses where fear comes from. And, you know, he has a naturalistic view of the world, obviously. So he looks at the psychological process, which is, uh, you know, that we evolved from reptiles. And so, you know, our natural instinct is fear driven because, you know, the fl- uh, fight or flight type, you know, thing. All right. um, and, and his, his point here is that uh, one of the first points he makes is that the problem is that, our Stone Age ancestors made good use of that, that trigger mechanism, or I think is kind of how he describes it, of fear. But as we come to this point of our evolutionary progress, those things don't necessarily jive anymore. Like we have these psychological and um, I would say philosophical milestones that we've surpassed. So now we have to kind of look at this in a different way. Right. Um, And then he talks about uh, fear that's driven from external stimuli. Uh, You know, obviously, like if there's a knife pointed at you or a gun pointed at you or something like that, you're you're going to have fear. And then the last one he says is he calls the happiness trap, uh, which refers to control strategies. And basically, it's his argument is that in order to make ourselves feel better. Um, right. we do certain things and, and, you know, we, we fear not feeling good. And so uh-huh. you know, that drives our behavior and whatnot. And it all, he's trying to tie it all into what it means for technology. And his basic, uh, observation is that people are in general scared of technology right. or at least new technology, which is true to some degree. I, I well, think,
0: yeah. I would agree to some degree, but I think it's not just the technology that they're afraid of. Right. I think as we talk about a lot, that there is a lot more um, about emerging technologies to be afraid of than there is the actual technology itself. Right. Um, Implications of spirituality, implications of, you know, even sociological implications. Yeah. I mean, we can say that it's, the, the fear of change but I think that there are some very real reasons to fear some of this stuff
1: and again I, I don't think it's necessarily just like you said it's not the mechanisms I, I think the fear is not the technology itself it's what man does with it right and, and that in that sense I don't think the fear ever changes from someone yielding a sword to a gun to a nuclear bomb obviously the the, the damage that could be made is You know, it's, it's different, but technologies in general were there to not necessarily change us from the inside. It was supposed to help us as we are already, you know, the microwave was supposed to just help us eat food faster, uh, the car so we can move and transport faster, you know, all these things were done in our environment. And again, it goes back to that whole idea of that we're kind of getting to this point where. They're they're very capable of affecting change from the the building blocks of what makes humans human, what makes animals animals, all the little things that are at the genetic level, at the uh, the smallest particle level of what, what we're made of. Right. So I think that's the fear. I I don't think these, <laughs> I don't think, you know, having a, a, getting a, a some device that can let someone who is deaf hear better is the fear. Like, I don't think they should fear that, you know?
0: Right. So, right. And he, he lays out, it's funny. He lays out some strategies Yeah. Um, to continue uh, technological advancement in, he, in the presence of this sort of,
1: he calls fear. it, he calls it technological dystopia. So right. he kind of, he comes up with a list of five things to prevent technological dystopia
0: right, and number one on this list, and he even makes a, you know a little joke about it himself, but number one on the list, I kid you not, is carry on and hope for the best. this guy is saying. <laughs> I know you guys are terrified of what this is, and there are a lot of implications, and we're sort of just messing with things we shouldn't, but I have a plan for you. Here's option number one. Let's just keep going, and then see what happens let's
1: hope for the best
0: right I mean what I I mean I get it from his point of view this is this is what he wants to do I mean I could see this is his this is his worldview he thinks we should just keep going and then stop when we sort of see a line that shouldn't be crossed the problem is us human beings have, this really weird disorder where like, if there's a line coming up, we just happen to not really see it. And we just kind of trample right over it. And before we realize that we've gone the wrong way, it's already too late. Um, It's just in our history. It's just, I believe it's part of the fall. So, and that's why me and Gon spend so much time talking about this stuff. So we know where the line is for ourselves and we can sort of look ahead and, and uh, prepare ourselves for the future of these things. Not saying that these other guys are not doing that, but um, if you hear me and Gon say, well, let's just keep going and uh, hope for the best. (laughs) um, I would recommend you sign up for this transhumanist newsletter and then (laughs) start listening to them too. But anyways,
1: it's, so. it's it's again the nuke example is a perfect example because our whole political landscape is run on the fear of nukes, right? Like the, everything is about who has the nukes, who's gonna right. bomb who, all this stuff. And when they were developing the technology, I bet it was done under secret conditions or whatever. It wasn't like public knowledge that they were building this, right? In any case, it was like carry on and hope for the best because you know hope that that we can have yield the power whatever their hope was i'm not even sure but
0: i mean and and these guys even had their own cognitive dissonance about the whole thing i mean einstein has has written many times before the the bomb was actually developed he basically saying i don't think we should be doing this but (laughs) let's just go and hope for the best you know what i mean Anyway, uh, uh, number two on the list, I just want to go through this list really quickly, yeah. if that's all right with you. Um, number yeah. two on the list was, try to slow technological development as far as possible. Now, I I kind of feel like he put this one in there almost like sarcastically, saying, try to slow technological development as far as possible.
1: Well, he he actually does, he, he gives an argument for... The positive kind of ramifications of this, because he says it sounds futile. It sounds like he uh, he, he what did he say here? Uh, it sounds like an anathema in techno progressive circles, which is true. It, it does sound like anathema to them. Uh, but he was saying that um, that it would have its benefits because it would prevent the crazy scientists from coming up with some crazy thing, you know. And you can actually uh, chart the progress. You can really observe its effects, really test these advancements before it becomes, uh, you know, distributed widely or whatever. So he's saying that there's a positive, but, you know, I I don't (laughs) think that he's actually, like, trying to...
0: Yeah, I can see that. Uh, Here's the problem I have with that. Okay, number two, trying to slow the technological development as far as possible. Here's the problem. I feel like it's not like these technologies... Pop up one day and then they just sort of throw it out to the masses to happen. There's yeah. already a sort of long process. A delay. That's right. These technological things take forever already. I'll, I mean, I know we're getting to the end here, but these have been going for a very, very long time. And I feel like trying to slow them down is not, should not be the goal right now. Because, I mean, they're going. It's not that they're coming up too fast, right? It's just that they're coming up, and whether or not they speed up or slow down, we're gonna need to just know what to do with it. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, it's that's. I guess that's just my feeling about that. I feel like it's a non-point that he's making. Yeah,
1: it's true. It is a non-point because, uh, for example, you know, I've been. I've been reading um, cosmic conspiracy by Stan and right. he pretty much lays out how the Illuminati has free energy technology has yeah. uh, anti-gravity technology. They already have, the, they've already developed it, right? but they're holding it back for various reasons that Stan gets into. But in any case, they have that technology. I mean, it would totally benefit the world. Uh, you know, and so slowing it down would only kind of be playing into that, that kind of agenda. Um, but also, um, if you think about the, gosh, what was it? I I, I think you sent me a link a while ago, Basil, of, of some woman talking about, uh, genetically modified foods and how the United States was the only country that accepted this, uh, some, something in the milk, I think, in every other country. Right,
0: right. No, it's it's the this is just horrific antibacterial. Uh, right. It was
1: some some kind of hormone or something. Antibiotic, right? yeah. Antibiotic, yeah. Nobody else in the world
0: allows this to happen. And it goes for a lot of things yeah, in was, America, by the way. Okay, I'll let you continue. Well, no, like, yeah, right.
1: I don't want to get too far off track. But I mean, I pulled out my milk and I looked at it and it, and it said like, you know, none of the chemicals in here have been proven to be harmful. And I was like, Ooh, that's not good. Yeah. But um, anyway, uh, so going back to kind of the slowing down of technologies, it's, it wouldn't serve any purpose to actually do that in the sense that, you know, again, like we've already mentioned, we've already kind of gone over it, but I think he, he tries to make it a logical argument in his thing, just to counterbalance trying to present a rational argument, logical viewpoint and staying even and of course you know number one which was carry on and hope for the best and trying to contrast it with oh slow down technology just to try to sound like he's fair uh, I know, really and, not.
0: and as we keep going, I mean, we're just going to see. We I don't know if this guy had just run out of good ideas or if this is just, <laughs> like, really the sad, like, <laughs> point in these decisions that we really are, but here's number three. Clearly distinguish between good technologies and bad technologies and prioritize the former. <laughs> okay. This guy is just full of just great Plans.
1: Well, I mean, first off, it's like, okay, who determines what's good, what's bad? I mean, you know, what's good for the Illuminati is not necessarily good for us. What's bad for them is, you know, so it gets into the whole ethical and moral argument of, you know, what are you suggesting that there are actual objective moral values that are absolute and binding and, you know, the humanist (sighs) and usually the atheistic kind of mindset will say, no, you know, morality is relative. And so, you know. Yeah, it just causes all sorts of problems.
0: <laughs> and we should be doing this already. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a solution that we should be considering. This is something that sh- scientists should be actively doing as they develop technologies. That's what drives me crazy about this list.
1: <laughs> That's true. Uh, so yeah,
0: no, go for uh, it.
1: I was going to just jump to number four because it ties yeah, in. Yeah. Do uh, it. And number four is prioritize and promote exploration of, of the ethical implications of emerging technology. Oh,
0: what a great idea. Great
1: idea. Shouldn't (laughs) you guys be doing that already? Like before you release the technology?
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. That doesn't even need to be expounded
1: on. Okay. And then he goes to number Number five, five. which is, this. this is just brilliant. I don't know. This guy needs to win a Nobel Prize or something. Number five, try to think of something else.
0: Right. I mean, it's really hard for me to to take this guy seriously <laughs> and maybe that's on purpose i don't know maybe he's trying to be satirical or something
1: i don't know man but i don't sense satire in this in this piece there's
0: not a lot of sense i mean the satire would just be in those for five steps there. That he- <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's the thing he's trying to make people feel better about the technology coming up and he's really just it's not working on me man I don't feel any better after <laughs> reading this article. He's, he's talking about how we shouldn't be afraid of technologies. Well, if I mean, I'm afraid of this guy's logic most more than anything, really, and this guy's suggestions. Um, anyways,
1: yeah. Let me read just a piece of his article, his, his final paragraph, because I think it sums up well, where he's trying to go with this whole thing, because he's, he's trying to appeal to the transhumanist kind of uh, crowd, right? Uh, you know, kind of a rally cry type thing.
0: Yeah. But, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So
1: he says, finally, whatever strategies we adopt for preventing technological dystopia, there will always be shinier and better ones that we haven't thought of. Okay. Yeah. So in addition to pursu- yeah, so in addition <laughs> to pursuing them and watchfully waiting to see what happens, we should also be actively trying to think of new ones. An important point here is that the analytical mindset that we employ in order to assess risks and get at the truth is of limited help. We need to be creative, and this means getting carried away by our enthusiasm and overexcited. Wow. So basically he's saying, you know, we need to think of ways to uh, lie to people basically <laughs> to, right. to prevent technological dystopia. He's because... basically
0: <laughs> saying our in- intellect is not going to convince these people to not be afraid. It's our enthusiasm <laughs> that will convince the public that what we're doing is a good idea. Yeah. I mean, it, it scares me a little bit, this suggestion that he has at the end here. Cause it's sort of, okay, I've been rereading 1984 for obvious uh, reasons going on. Um, and there's this concept called double think. Right. Which is basically, um, basically lying to yourself. Yeah. And knowing you're lying to yourself, but then lying to yourself about lying to yourself. Right. And that's exactly what comes to mind here. He's saying, <laughs> yeah. look, 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 I know we all sound crazy here. <laughs> But we're really not. But let's not let everybody else know that we're crazy. So let's just get excited about this. <laughs> he literally says, and this means getting carried away by our enthusiasm and overexcited. This kind of idea generating discourse is something I would like to see more of on this site. This The site being this uh, transhumanist site, not least in the comment threads. And uh, they always sort of um,
1: yeah and, and continue
0: on in the comment threads.
1: When you start digging in a lot of these articles, they try to touch on various social issues. There's one. Okay, real quick, yeah.
0: real quick. Yeah. I'm sorry, I just read the first comment on this thing. Okay. Okay. Keep in mind, I'm going to read the, his his last his last uh, sentence again, and then I'll read this comment. Okay. This kind of idea generating discourse. Is, okay. No. 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 We need to be creative, and this means getting carried away by our enthusiasm and overexcited. Right. The next comment, the first comment, shouldn't we focus less on the risks and more on the opportunities? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well, at least he's getting his message across. You're right. We do need to be more excited. Let's focus less on those risks, and let's... (laughs) Focus on the opportunities. I mean, these people are would make great used car salesmen.
1: And, and then his response, actually, if I'm looking through the comment thread here, the author of the article responds with, indeed, that's the kind of thing I normally say.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> but he kind of goes into, you know, uh, why the public in general is, is scared and, and why we need to... Right. Well, and, and, I mean, go ahead. I was just
0: going to say that and this first thing, shouldn't we focus less on the risks and more on the opportunities? Is just the the exact the, is the thing. And going back to the doublespeak, he's admitting the risks
1: are there. Right. I think he's most ad- most transhumanist authors do.
0: Yeah. Well, the fact that he wants to focus less on the risks is exactly the opposite of what we should be doing.
1: I, I find it interesting that a lot of these authors and writers are by nature kind of transhumanist apologists you yeah. know they're all kind of salesmen of uh right. of the whole idea and they don't actually address i don't think at least i haven't seen it yet coherent solutions or good right. arguments really i mean there's there's a few and other this, uh, go ahead
0: and this is a perfect uh example of the of the mindset which is and i think in my personal opinion, I think the reason that is is because they are just as conflicted as everybody else. You know, I think they realize that the risks are gravely serious, as you and I talk about, but they're sort of working themselves up into an emotional frenzy because they have this utopian idea that technology is going to save the human race and save the world, that they're purposely ignoring the severity of the risks and instead focusing on the opportunities of the technology. You know, you always hear, we understand that there's a risk that blah, 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 blah. Right. But- just think of how great this will be. I mean that you could almost w- word for word, pick them out and, on almost all of these articles.
1: Yeah. Um, if you remember the technocalypse episode, there's a, I quoted a piece of the film at the beginning and one of the quotes was by Natasha Vita Moore. And she was the one that was talking about, you know, like, Oh, if these, uh, uh, designers were transhumanists, can you imagine the bodies that we would have in the design and all this stuff? Right. And she actually wrote an article that's on here. It's called uh, The Aesthetics of Transhumanism. And and we won't, we won't get into it too much here, but she's basically, you know, she's bringing in art and design into the discussion of transhumanism. So again, right. trying to be culturally relevant and trying to push transhumanism into mm. mainstream f- social, right. you know.
0: fashion. Right, the fashion uh,
1: industry. Like trying to appeal to the... I guess you can call it the, uh, entertainment, uh, you know, because obviously if people that, uh, are big in entertainment, jump on board and, and, you know, are declare themselves transhumanist, the whole thing gets more publicity and, and whatnot. Right, so, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I mean, I think it's very interesting. I mean, you think about the possibilities of these designs, Uh, quote-unquote designs for human avatars, basically. Right. Um, And it's you just think, I mean, what could they do outside of the basic human design already that could even be perceived as beautiful, you know? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, what exactly... I'm trying to think of like a designer human body, what that would look like and what a designer would I, you know, embellish. I mean, obviously we already have certain augmentations. Well,
1: that's what I was going to bring up. And I think that is kind of the start of the whole thing, this whole idea of plastic surgery. And um, it, it was it, actually, it was an idea I had to actually tie this whole thing in. If I were to put together a transhumanist movie, which right. I don't think I'm going to do right now at this point anyway. Yeah. Uh, but basically, I was going to start off with this, this whole idea of uh, plastic surgery. How it was actually—it's been around for a while, but it was right. mostly done to actually help people. You know, if they had a cleft lip or something, right? To to bring them so they can function in society and whatnot. So that that's kind of what the original intent was. But as we got into the 1900s and stuff, you know, things started to change, especially these last this last half century or you know, less right. probably less than that, probably thirty years. You know, yeah. Uh, just the aesthetic effects of, you know, like just enhancement. And I think that same thing applies to the world of transhumanism in that at first it's going to be to help people, you know, help people walk better, help people function better. You know, the guy without the arm is going to have a new arm and things like that. But as it progresses, it's going to start becoming more of an aesthetic thing or an enhancement thing or whatever it is. And obviously, you know, I think most people have heard or know of the horror stories of certain individuals that have had, you know, terrible things happen to their... Oh,
0: goodness. Yeah. Right.
1: Um
0: Well, think of the botchery that could happen in this whole transhumanist thing. Yeah. You know, especially during the first few. I mean, we, we do a really good job. We do two things really great when we start um, trying to augment ourselves. Number one... We are really good at messing up yeah, and just completely doing the opposite of what we want. And then number two, we're really, really good at going too far. Yeah. You know what I mean? And living where we live, Gons, I mean, the evidence is all around us. Yeah,
1: we're in Southern California if anyone wants to know or care. And it is, I mean... That's, that's kind of the, the, culture that we live in is, is that, I mean, and, and I know it's probably even worse for you down there and uh, where you are, but I've, I've lived where you live now right, and, and, right. you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. And, you know, an image came to my mind as we were kind of talking about this, um, in the movie alien, I don't know if you've ever, did you ever see that yeah, movie yeah yeah with Sigourney Weaver? Right. I think in the first one, there's a scene at the very end where one of the cyborg guys who's, you know, you, you, you just with movies and stuff, you grow attached to characters and whatnot.
0: Right.
1: And at the end of the movie, this, this robot guy gets cut in half or something and he's laying on the ground and like uh-huh. his insides are all showing. It's all like, you know, it's not like human stuff. It's like kind of robot-y, gooey, whatever. Right. And I remember just watching that as a kid. I was watching, seeing that thinking, oh, that's so weird. That's so, that's <laughs> such an, like I, I, and I remember think being mad sort of like, I, thought you were a cool character, but you're just a robot, you know? <laughs> and I was like, so bitter. And, and I I don't know, maybe it was just kind of a, a seed in, in, the, in the kind of thought process we have now, but.
0: Uh, well, yeah, I was actually, as you were telling me this, it reminds me one of the only movies that I owned as a kid, you know, we didn't really own a lot of movies, but one of the movies that we owned was Star Trek. Um, oh yeah. And the one with the Borgs. Yeah. And and then and uh Captain Picard gets turned into one of these Borgs. Yeah. And yeah. it's just this sort of, you know, mindless
1: cyborg. Is that the one where it goes resistance is futile?
0: I think so. You know, it's been so long since I've seen it. <laughs> All I'm the tr- the science
1: tr- fiction fans are like yelling at us right now. Like, I know. I'm sorry you guys. Sorry. Are torturing you,
0: guys it. you hate us so much. I'm sorry, but if you know if somebody's a big uh, sci-fi fan, set us straight on these things. But anyways, when Picard's a Borg, I mean, I just hated him. I hated the whole movie because of that. I mean, I would watch it over and over and over, but <laughs> I did not like the Borg at all, especially when they uh, got a hold of him.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing that too. I, I Yeah, I don't know. We we've been. I think the 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 big sci-fi movie when I was a kid. Uh, that was, you know, fringy and all that stuff was uh, Terminator. I think I was like ten, nine or ten years fringy. old when I saw ter- Fringy at the time, man. Yeah, you know, Terminator right, was right, crazy yeah. at the time. That's you know? true. Uh, yeah.
0: All right. Well, I think we've, I think we've uh, lost track here. Well, I think show. when we
1: start talking about movies as that we've we lost. saw as a kid, it's time to go.
0: <laughs> we've lost control. All right, guys. Well. Thanks for listening to Canary Cry Radio once again. Uh, go to Facebook, go to Twitter, YouTube, check us out. Um, we're certainly all over the place. And please tell your friends to check out the show. Um, uh, let's see. What else do we have here? Oh, we've started writing um, some articles. Yeah. Uh, Gon started uh, a series of articles called The Christian Conspiracy Theorist. Um, And I, Basil, am writing a series on time travel and um, how, uh, you know, we should look at it as Christians and as humans and people who appreciate science. Um, So go check those out. Give them a read. Let us know what you think. Um, It's a series, so there'll be more coming out.
1: And this is actually sort of time travel now because you're listening to us now, but we're not talking to you at this very moment, except for anyway, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Leave comments. We love your comments. We love the conversations. And um, yeah.
0: All right. Till next time. Later.